and I returned from Ghana in 2014. As soon as I arrived, I just saw people all around the place. Displaced, which it was strange. I was born in Meduguri, I grew up in Meduguri, and then I left Meduguri for about 18 months. Even though I was I was in touch with what was happening, I knew that the Boko Haram crisis had started, but I didn't know it was that bad. I was just hearing over the phone or seeing media reports. I didn't experience it firsthand. Hi there, welcome back to another episode of the podcast, What Are You Going to Do With That? by the Minerva Center for the Rule of Law Under Extreme Conditions at the University of Haifa. As usual, I'm your host, my name is Dani, and I'm a PhD fellow, bringing you the stories of academic journeys of early career researchers in the hope to gain some tips and advice. Today, I'm chatting with Dr. Zainab Musa Shalangwa, who is a lecturer at the Department of Fine Arts at the University of Maiduguri in Nigeria. Dr. Shalangwa has completed her PhD magna cum laude just last year on the topic of cultural sustainability and internally displaced persons of Borno State in Northeast Nigeria. The PhD was done binationally at the University of Maiduguri and Hildesheim in Germany. Before properly introducing Zainab to you, I'd like to invite our listeners to visit our social media pages on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to learn more about our guests. We also have a YouTube channel and a blog on our website with the same name, where you will find more tips for graduate students on topics from publishing to dealing with the imposter syndrome. So check it out, and don't forget to subscribe. Now, back to Dr. Zainab Musa Shalangwa. Zainab started her academic journey with a BA in Creative Arts at the University of Maiduguri and continued with an MA in Museum and Heritage Studies at the University of Ghana. During her MA, she also worked as a graduate assistant in the Arts History and Museology section and the Department of Creative Arts. Upon completion of the MA, Zainab was upgraded to the level of assistant lecturer and helped develop a fine arts curriculum. In 2017, she started her PhD at two universities in two countries. That was Nigeria and Germany, at Hildesheim, for which she received a scholarship from the DAAD. Her dissertation is titled Effects of Displacement on Kanuri Cultural Practices of Internally Displaced Persons of Porno State, Northeast Nigeria, which she has completed magna cum laude. Dr. Shalangwa's work is published in various peer-reviewed journal articles and in a book that's currently in press, and she is now also lecturer at the University of Maiduguri. And you should know that Zainab is strongly involved in advocacy work for education, especially for girl-child education, as well as mentoring early career researchers in helping them actualize their dreams. So, welcome to our podcast, Zainab, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dani. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course, I'm excited to have you as a guest because I feel that we actually have a lot in common. We both study the larger field of migration. With you, it's IDPs, and with me, it's more refugees and asylum seekers. Mm. But we also both received funding from the German DAAD, and you finished, but I'm still working on my PhD at two universities in two different countries, also one of them being in Germany. Yeah. We have a lot of things in common, I see, Danny. <laughs> so I'm excited. 
So let's get started with pouring myself a drink, which is my classic amaretto. What did you bring with you today? I have a local drink from northern Nigeria. It's called Soborodo. Soborodo okay. is made from local hibiscus. You know the hibiscus plant? The, the, the petals right. called hibiscus is red. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard of hibiscus tea. Right, yes, I have. Uh -huh. So this drink is made out of the hibiscus plant with a lot of spices. Okay. And sugar. <laughs> okay, so is it spicy or is it like a lot of herbs mixed in there? A lot of spicy herbs, like cloves, ginger. Okay. Yes. And um, it has this sour taste. Little sugar is added to it. And... Um, has an uh, you you can add f any flavor of your choice pineapple strawberry to it right. uh, and um, it's very refreshing actually it helps you deal with the scorching sun in northern Nigeria <laughs> okay okay so it's something you would drink daily yes very popular especially when the weather is extremely hot okay so it helps that's nice yeah okay so let's yeah. have a sip cheers. Cheers! <laughs> okay, so now that we have our drinks, we can sit back and relax a little bit. And I'll ask you a few short questions in the meantime. Are you ready for that? Yes, I am. Great. The first one is, what is your favorite time of the day and why? My favorite, favorite time of the day is usually the morning time. Mornings between... 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Okay. And that is the time that I usually wake up to start the day. If I start it on a good note, it means it's going to be a beautiful day. But if I start it on a bad note, not all the time, but um, it, it kind of gives me a signal that my of how my day is going to look like. So I begin, I wake up usually around 5.30 in the morning but i don't leave the bed i leave the bed exactly at six i stay quiet and okay. do a little meditation then leave the bed go straight to the kitchen then prepare breakfast for my son who has to go to school and um, by seven i'm done as soon as i'm done i exercise for an hour between seven to eight. Oh, that's good what do you do i walk out I walk on the treadmill for an hour. I walk at least six wow. kilometers every morning. Yes. And it gets me started. Once I'm able to do that, my day is going to be productive. That sounds good. Compared to me, you're definitely an early bird. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but maybe that's also because I don't have children, so I don't have to wake up early to bring anyone to school. Uh, but I definitely understand the snoozing part of the half hour in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That helps me a lot, too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Second question. Um, what mm. food would you not be able to live without? Hmm. I will not be able to live without yam. I don't know if you know yam. Have you heard of yams before? I haven't had it, but I've heard of it a okay. lot. Yam is, a, is an African staple. <laughs> I think I've seen it in Ghana, Nigeria, West Africa. <laughs> let, me be, not me, let me not be too... <laughs> too confident about my yam <laughs> i've seen it in west africa it's very common in west africa and um i i can eat it in any form 
okay. fried, boiled. Then we pound it. We pound it into a flour, like uh, we swallow. You can eat with soup. Okay. I cannot do without yam. Even when I was leaving for Germany, I had to take yams. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I exhausted the yams in Germany, I started buying from the African shop. I can't do without yam. Yeah, I think when you go abroad, and especially if you know, you're a student abroad and you're staying out of your home country for a longer time, you definitely realize what foods are that important to you once you don't have them anymore. <laughs> All right, great. And um, what do you think is the most important thing for a workplace to have? A workplace should have internet connectivity. Very vital. Just one thing. You can mention more if you like. I'm curious. Okay. Yeah, there should be... A workplace, well, we, we are coming from different backgrounds, so this may not make sense to you, <laughs> but I think it is essential that, essential that a workplace should have a bathroom, a toilet, where people can um, ease themselves. I'm saying this because I found myself in places where there is no toilet, Wow, I can't even imagine that, to be honest. That's why I said we are coming from different contexts, mm -hmm. so you may not understand this. There should be a convenience. Yeah, and, and the same goes for the internet. And then the internet, like I said, yes. Because yeah. the world is a global village now. You need to be up to speed with common, common trends. The only way you can do that is by being connected to the internet. So I think it is one essential thing that every workplace should have. Especially when we think of this pandemic and how it has moved so many people online. Yes. For a lot of people, it was very yes. common because every student here, mm -hmm. I mean, that I know in my university, the University of Haifa has a computer or even a tablet and a phone so they can join their classes online. Mm -hmm. But it already gets harder if you have a family with four children and each one of them needs to be on the class on Zoom at the same time. Like, where do you get mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even the equipment to, to be able to do that? Um, it has to do with money, of course, with the infrastructure also. Yeah. Um, and I think it's forgotten a lot um, that there's places yeah. where, where it's not so mm -hmm. common. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad that we worked out uh, our technical difficulties that came from my side and not from your side. <laughs> and that we're yeah. able to have this conversation online. <laughs> Great. So you owe me a drink one day, someday, uh, probably yeah. in Germany. <laughs> I do hope so. If you are in Germany, I most likely will soon too. Yeah. Uh, let's cheer to that. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Then my last question, short question that is, mm. is if your life was a TV show, what would your theme song be? Hmm. Stuck on You by Lionel Richie. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> I like yeah. that. And that's a pretty fast answer too. I thought it was a tough question. I had to think about it myself for a bit. No. <laughs> because uh, that's that's been my favorite. For a very long time, and I still haven't changed that, so that's not a problem. <laughs> Everyone close to me knows that. <laughs> cool. Okay, well, thanks for sharing all of these details with us. And uh, now I'm ready to learn a bit more about your academic journey. 
So let's start at the beginning, as I usually do. Uh, when and why did you decide to do a BA in Creative Arts? And can you tell me a bit more about what kind of degree that is? Okay, BA, now you've taken me back to 2004. A bit of a while yeah. ago. Yeah, long. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so um, I left secondary school. Um, I was in secondary school. We have this secondary school for six years, senior secondary school in Nigeria, where uh, which prepares you for the university. And during that period, uh, at the end of the six years, you write an exam called JAM, Joint Admissions and Matriculations Board Exam, and it prepare, prepares you for the university. So all the while, it's uh, okay. It's like an entry requirement, sorry, into the university. Right. All the while growing up, I had always wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. I had always wanted to study law. So I was an art student. As an art student, I took fine arts as a subject in secondary school. I liked it and I was doing well in fine arts, not with the aim of pursuing a degree in fine arts, but just, I just liked it. So uh, it went on and on. It was time to leave secondary school. I, I wrote the jam examination I told you about. Mm-hmm. And I applied to study law in the University of Meduguri. For one reason or the other, they just decided not to give me because I passed. Oh. I actually got, yes, I actually got that score. The cutoff mark they wanted, I got it even above. Yet, I wasn't given. And you don't know why? Don't, no, no. They don't come in. They don't get back to you. Oh. Then, there was no feedback Um. There was no feedback option, nothing. You just apply, and if you don't get, it means you were not taken. So, but then you have the choice of going, applying for a second choice. And while I was applying, I applied for law first. Then, second choice, I put creative arts. All right. Very different. For one reason. Yes, just because I, I just liked it. And I, I was not even expecting to be given. Right. Somehow, I looked through the whole list. I couldn't find my name on the law list. And I thought I should, why not check the second choice? And there my name was. Okay, I said, "Mm, I'm not bad at drawing. Let me take it. Start and then write another jam and then leave. Right. After a Mm -hmm. year. Yes. And if you do so well, the system is such that you can be given the second year if you do well, because it's usually introduction. Okay, so you could have skipped that first year maybe. Yes, you would not have to repeat. So I applied again, and even though I had already gotten admission and had started studying creative arts, I applied again, and the examination day came. I wrote it, but unfortunately, I did woefully. I didn't do well at all. Oh. That was when I just put my mind off it. I said, okay, no, law is not for me. Let me concentrate on the fine arts. Since, and I, 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 as soon as I started, I developed this liking for creative arts. All of a sudden, I liked it. I was free. I could express myself. I could interact well with others and draw which is therapeutic as well. You draw and then you feel it has this satisfying effect. 
And uh, I fell in love with it even more for a second time. And I said, okay, it's time to stay here. That was how I found myself continuing with creative arts. I knew I wasn't leaving. But creative arts um, is, is broad. It's a very broad course. You have to specialize in something. Either painting, sculpture, um, graphics, design, theater arts, art history, or museology, and museology, which are two. And then as art education as well. So I did the first year, which was introduction. Second year was also introduction, but you had to take all these courses in the beginning and then decide where your strength lies. And in the process, I realized that I, I was more, I had strength in art history and museology. That's museum studies. Mm-hmm. Museology is museum studies. I, I, I was doing very well in art history courses and museology courses. And I had somebody in the department who mentored me. He saw my strengths and was he, he brought me close and said, okay, see your strengths. I know you wanted to study law before, but uh, you're here now and I, you're doing well here. And if I am to advise you, I will advise you continue in this direction. And I went with his advice i went with his suggestion my parents were very supportive too they encouraged me to go for that because i was doing very well there that was how it started for me uh up to where i am today <laughs> i don't know if there's anything i've missed so please remind oh, me oh don't worry about then it God i'll I'm ask free more to ask. if i want to know <laughs> okay. yeah it's it was interesting to hear that you actually wanted to do law and that you were good enough to get in yes but that we still don't really yeah. understand why you didn't. But it's quite interesting also that you did like your uh, creative arts BA mm-hmm. and that you pursued that and also really fell in love with it. So that's a really good story, yeah. actually. It's a good ending mm. to it. Um, and then what I wanted to ask also, uh, and you talked about a little bit already, that you continue with uh, museology. Because you continued with an mm-hmm. MA in Museum and Heritage Studies, right? Um, but this yes, time you yes. actually also did that at a different university, right? Because I saw on your resume that that was at the University of Ghana. So different country, different place. Can you elaborate on how that came about? Yeah. So after my first degree, I graduated. I started in 2004 and graduated in 2008. And then there's this compulsory national service year in Nigeria where you, you serve the nation. Okay. Uh, I went for the service year. I came back and um, I was looking for a job. I came back, applied certain places. Of course, especially then, it was a bit difficult getting jobs immediately. So I started teaching in a school. I started teaching and um, I loved what I was doing, working with children. But I told you I had a mentor mm-hmm. who was guiding me all through my undergraduate days. And I graduated with good grades. I made what we call the second class upper. Oh, nice. And he told me, 
he advised that it would be nice to to pursue a master's degree. That he called me one time and asked, "What are your plans?" Would you just stay back and continue teaching? Don't you want to further your education? I told him, yes, I really want to further my education. and um, uh, But I don't know exactly what uh, to go for, the course. And uh, even though I, I, I had a background in art history, I, I loved the museology component more than the art history okay. component. So I... I, I I wanted to pursue a degree not in art history per se, but more of museology. Art history is everywhere in Nigeria, but museology at the master's level is, is not very common. It wasn't very common as at 2009, 10, 11. So I went online checking. He asked me to, you know, I just went online to check to see if there are schools that offer museology at the master's level. And I came across University of Ghana. University of Ghana is West Africa too. Not very far from Nigeria, almost similar culture. I'm even actually wearing a kente material presently from Ghana. So I thought, okay, it's not very far. And then I, I reached out to the people in the university. I contacted them and sent, I sent them an email and they replied almost immediately. I started processing my admission. Uh, I got the admission 2012. I was in Ghana as an international student, although from West Africa. <laughs> and I was there for 18 months. It was, it was a very beautiful experience that I do not regret. I met very good people in Ghana. I'm still in contact with them. I've learned a lot from them. I, I, I'm glad I went to Ghana because it opened my eyes to so many things. It exposed me to so many things. I would have been limited. I got to know about, yeah, I, from my background as an art historian and a museology student, I was already familiar with culture, but I became more grounded at the master's level in Ghana because they have, they have a very rich cultural heritage. The Ghanaian culture is very rich. So I had like hands, first hand, first hand contact with culture. So it was a great experience for you not only to, um, you know, be a foreign student and to experience a different place, even though some of the culture is similar, like you mentioned. I do like the colors yes. uh, of what you're wearing a lot, so that's nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but it also helped to get deeper into what it is you really wanted to learn more about and to bring back that knowledge home, right? Yes. I got that clarity. Of course, it's, it's a higher level of degree. So I got more clarity and more focus in Ghana, especially regarding culture cultural studies, cultural change. Okay, so while you were doing your MA and you said you spent 18 months in Ghana, yes. you had in mind already what you wanted to do next because your mentor from your BA, uh, he was back home in Nigeria. Um, did you already mm -hmm. think while you were in Ghana what you were going to do next? Yes. While I was in Ghana, coincidentally, I had already started my master's and there was an opening in the University of Meduguri for 
junior lecturers, graduate assistants, that's what that level is called. There was an opening and we were asked to send in applications. I didn't have a job before going to Ghana. I was there, I was teaching, I left my teaching job and then went to Ghana. But while I was in Ghana, there was a call for applications. There was a vacancy for lecturers and he contacted me and asked if I could apply. And I said, why not? I really would love to teach. Perfect timing too. Yeah, because even, yes, because even after my first degree, I came back and taught. Mm-hmm. Even though at the primary school level, I, it would be a nice opportunity to now teach at a higher level. And I, reading is something I love to do. I really want to pursue an academic career. I was like, okay, let me apply. I tried. I was invited for the interview. This in 2013, and I was successful. So I got employed even while I was a student in Ghana, but at the graduate assistant level. So, in which meant, which means uh, I had to be under a senior lecturer to mentor me again, because I was I was coming just raw. So I had to be taught the rudiments of academics. It was a learning process still. Academic career, yes, it was a learning process for me. So I continued until I graduated. It gave me the opportunity to go back to school because I was already in school even before I got the job. So they allowed me to go back to Ghana, complete my studies, and then I came back in 2014 and um, started my career fully in the university. That must have been exciting. Did you also enjoy teaching? Yes. I I love teaching. Uh, that's I think that's what um I was cut out for. <laughs> if there's if if I'm free to say that. Yeah, of course. Because I I look at people working in the banks, I look at people in other walks of life and I'm like I can't be like you. <laughs> I love what I'm doing. <laughs> I love to see that even though it's not easy, it's quite it's challenging. But I love to see that um, you are able to transfer and impact knowledge on somebody, and then uh, you make you kind of mold somebody into who he is. That is, or he who 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 he becomes or she becomes in future. That is very satisfying for me. It does sound very, uh, very good. It's a very, yeah, you get uh, some gratitude and satisfaction out of the job and, and what you do. That's very important. Yeah. Um, so now you were at the point in your life where you had two degrees and you were a mm. uh, lecturer. So at what point did you decide that you should also get a PhD? Okay. Since I had already been employed as a lecturer. In Nigeria, the system is if you want to be promoted, if you want to climb the academic ladder, you have to get a PhD. You can't just stop at the master's level, except if you want to remain a junior researcher. But for you to grow, to become a professor, a PhD is compulsory. So there was no option. Of course, because I want to grow, I want to thrive in my career. So the only option for me then was you must do a PhD. And it's time-bound. You cannot be at a particular level for a certain time. You're not being productive. 
for the organization where you work, you have to improve on yourself. So a PhD was was compulsory for me as, as far as I'm concerned, or no, I was concerned then. So, and then, um, I don't know if I should jump into this. Please be my guest. I'm very curious. Into how um, I started the PhD journey, how my interest, what sparked my interest. Yes, please. So, as soon as I returned from Ghana, for my PhD, like you already know, Danny, I looked at the effect of displacement mm-hmm. on cultural practices, on Kanuri cultural practices. And I returned from Ghana in 2014. As soon as I arrived, I just saw people all around the place displaced, which it was strange. I was born in Meduguri, I grew up in Meduguri, and then I left Meduguri for about 18 months. Even though I was I was in touch with what was happening, I knew that the Boko Haram crisis had started, but I didn't know it was that bad. I was just hearing over the phone or seeing media reports. I didn't experience it firsthand. So as soon as I arrived in Meduguri in 2014, I just saw people all around children, uh, adults, men, women, cut across ages, all ages. And I was like, what's happening? And they said, oh, these are the displaced people. Boko Haram insurgents um, sacked them or expelled them from their homes. The place is no longer safe for them. So they've come to Meduguri, which was which is still safer. And then the villages, as we speak, that they've come for safety and they are displaced persons. And you know, already I told you I got familiar with culture, more grounded with culture in Ghana. So I just knew about cultural change because these people are coming from the villages. And in Africa, if you want to get in touch with pure culture, you go to the village because the cities are cosmopolitan. You, a lot of people from different backgrounds. And um, so culture is not as original as it is in the villages. And these people have left their homes. They've left what they are used to, what they are familiar with. They found themselves in a city totally different from what they are used to. I just knew something will happen to their culture. Cultural change sparked. I was interested in it and... Of course, I, I knew I was going to do a PhD, whether I liked it or not, because I'm already in the field. I was already in the field. So I thought, but I didn't even look at that cultural change in the light of a PhD, probably an academic paper, an article in a journal. So I just looked, oh, it would be interesting to study these people. But it was too early at that point. They just arrived. Nothing had started happening. But behind, at the back of my mind, I was like, okay. If given an opportunity, I would love to interact with these people to find out how their culture has been impacted. And that was it. I just ignored it. Came back home. I settled in with my family. And displacement went on and on and on. The place was no longer safe. Even became worse. The security situation became worse in the villages, more people had to leave, that the government had to open displaced persons camps for them, official camps. 
when they first arrived, they were just housed or temporarily kept. Some some of them stayed with relatives. Some of them were uh, they just scattered around. But the situation got out of hand that the government had to do something, something more official. So they got them displaced persons camps. This went on all through 2014, 2015, 2017. Oh, by then they had already mingled with other people. And what I was looking for, the cultural change must have taken effect. So... Um, I started thinking of how to invest scientific, in scientific study to study how things have evolved for them culturally. But of course, I was incapacitated. I didn't have enough money to do that. And apart from the money, there are a lot of protocols. You don't just go into uh, the camp and start talking to people on your who are you. They don't know you. And luckily for me, there was this call from the SDG Graduate School, Performing Sustainability, Culture and Development in West Africa. And the focus was conflict. The focus was culture. Okay. They were looking at migration like they were answering my questions, answering all those unanswered questions I had in my head. And I said, okay, this will be an opportunity to really understand cultural change amongst these people and um, it's going to be funded and then at the end of the day I will end up with a PhD why not give it a try it would be perfect yes it was just perfect for me so I took my time I applied I wrote the proposal I sent it in and early 2017 I got an email to come down for an interview for the position I applied for, I was excited about it. So I went for the interview. Luckily for me, I was successful. Yes, congratulations. I got it. So so it was it was just like um things just happened for me. I don't know how to explain it. You know? Just things just happened just the way I planned it. Well, it's a bit of luck. But it's also all of the work that you put in yourself for doing the BA, for continuing yes. the MA, for being a, a combination back for work. You have put in a lot of effort and you were yes. probably also because of that one of the best candidates. Yes. So, and I think, um, again, I, I say a big thank you to my mentors for guiding me, for putting me on the right track. And I'm glad that I didn't lose focus. Because this luck wouldn't have happened if I had lost focus. Okay, yeah, this is it. You're interested, but you don't have a master's degree good enough to to pursue this PhD. So you're not qualified. So it was just it was just perfect for me. Everything worked out perfectly. And then I started the PhD journey. And here we are today. <laughs> That's great. That's also another great story. Uh, how things yeah. just... Yeah, happen that way, right? And everything mm -hmm. seems to yeah. be going so well. So well. But that's only when you started the PhD. And what I talk about in the podcast a lot with other guests is the struggles that they also faced while doing the PhD. So I was hoping to learn a little yes. bit from you. So I wanted to ask okay. how you actually uh, got into the joint PhD program, for example, with this German university. And did you spend any time there? 
And was it very different to um, get used to what they expected from you? Uh, and, and yeah, really, anything you have to say about that? Okay. So, thank God we can always go back. Yes, it happened perfectly for me, but I will not... It will not. I will, it will not be fair for me to say there were no hitches. Uh huh. I had a lot. At some point, I almost gave up. It's 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 very common. The PhD journey is always is always a difficult one. No doubt about that. Um, I got it. I got the scholarship and I started, but that was my first. I got married after my masters. So my first degree, I wasn't married. I was single. I had enough time for myself. My second degree, I was single. I had enough time for myself. And then I got married. And then I had a son immediately. Wow. And I had started a PhD. That's a lot at the same time. Yes, a lot at the same time. It was very challenging. My son was about 12, a year old when I started. When I started the PhD, and um, my husband is is working, and my mom is late. My parents, both of them, are late. My sisters are all career people. Where to keep my son? And all. it was very challenging, but somehow we managed to scale through. Thank God for family. My sister, I have a sister who was always keeping my son. And my son is five years old already, but he got so used to her during the period I was away studying. He doesn't like me anymore. He prefers to stay with her. Oh, that's not true. No. He, yeah, he likes me. He misses me, but he prefers her to me. <laughs> I, maybe it's one of the things that comes with, with the degree. <laughs> You know, he, 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 he got so used to her. He prefers being around her. And and then even the, the time to dedicate, to the, 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 the trips. I had to go on workshops in Ghana. Uh, I had to go to Germany for some time. And it was my first time studying, going to Europe. Okay. Yes, the weather. The weather. <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, I'm in the Middle East right now. But I've realized that even Europeans are still, have still not gotten used to their weather. So <laughs> yes. I said, okay, I will pull through. <laughs> I will pull through. I told myself that, don't worry, you will get over it. And then the systems, the the, the teaching styles. But in the German university, you have that liberty to go get your data, make sense of the data bring it, and once you're able to defend or to make sense out of it, to convince the supervisor that this is what I did, this is how I came about it, you're fine. It is accepted. But my background, okay, no, you have to do this. You have to do that. It is clearly stated. You have to follow this. There's a straight jacket way of doing it. This is the methodology. Uh So you go step by step, do this, do that. You're told what to do. But I think with the German system, well, they both have their pros and cons, but I think it allows you to take charge, take take control of what you're doing. It's a PhD. You should own your work. That's right. 
you should own your research. So it allows you that liberty. Yeah, it allows you that liberty to claim total control of what you're doing. And I, I like that. that. I appreciate that. I've, I've learned a lot from the exchange, the, the, the academic exchange. It sounds like you got the best of all the worlds that you visited and learned in. Yes, even though, even though sometimes you tend to be a little bit more reluctant in that kind of setting, you no pressures at all. <laughs> we are used to pressure. Right. <laughs> no pressures at all. But if you're not careful, you may, you may end up lagging behind if you're not careful. It takes a lot of effort. Having a taste of both worlds gave me that balance. Mm -hmm. When I remember that, oh, my professor in Nigeria would not want it this way, then I strike a balance. And then both sides are satisfied. Right. Yeah. Balance is the correct word, I think. And that goes yes, for a lot of yes. things. Uh, I'm happy that you hmm. brought that up. Um, I also wanted to ask um, a question about... Um, because I've had spoken to quite a few guests already about what it is like to start a PhD or a postdoc or another teaching position during a global pandemic, but I haven't been able to ask anyone yet what it was like to complete a PhD during this global pandemic. So what was it like for you? So completing a PhD during the pandemic, hmm. I have not experienced completing a PhD before the pandemic. Right. So <laughs> there's I, no comparison. But I've I've attended yes, I've attended several defense like PhD defense before the pandemic and it was physical, it was all you know uh, the joy the 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 interaction the interaction, you could see the accomplishments, the happiness, the satisfaction was just, it was just in the air. Everyone was super excited and uh, the candidates break, like shed tears out of excitement and happiness and all that. But in my own case, the virtual, it was virtual. I defended virtually. So the Germans connected, uh, the Nigerian examiners connected, and myself. Um, I couldn't really, I feel, I feel, personally, I feel I would have done better if it was physical. Right. That makes because, sense. you know, with, um, with, with virtual meetings, you, you are not really able to gauge the countenance the disposition of your audience. So I, I couldn't really tell whether I was making sense or I wasn't really making sense. You know, it was it was kind of confusing for me. I couldn't make, I didn't know what to make of it, but it was a beautiful one. At the end of the day, they said I did well. They gave me good grades. Uh, I, I made good grades. Not they gave me. I earned it. Magna cum laude, you may say. I made good grades. Mm -hmm. Yes. They said um, my external examiner from the Nigerian side was very excited about my writing style. Okay. 
he thought is creative. He said, he said, I, he, he loved my writing style. He understood. Yes, I had one or two corrections to make. They pointed it out to me. I had my flaws. I had my strengths. All those were pointed out. But overall, it was, it was good at the end. Yes, I defended. I have a PhD, and um, I went through the, the same process, although virtually I had to stand at the end. The degree was conferred, and um, you know all those ceremonies, all those rituals. But I would have appreciated it more if it was a physical gathering. So I say no thanks to COVID, <laughs> no mm -hmm. thanks to the pandemic, and even the graduation. It was a very, it was a virtual. So right. It was a virtual event we had. Hill the same for for the University of Meduguri component. We are yet to to have the graduation, but we've had the graduation in Germany in Hill the same. Uh, it was it was not what I expected. I expected something bigger, and I hoped. I don't know. I hope whether somehow they would still do it. <laughs> somehow yes. I don't know, but I think I it's fast. <laughs> it's yes okay so i have one question left um and that is the main question of this podcast episode because now you have the joint phd which you got magna cum laude and you are a lecturer at the university and the question is what are you going to do with that hmm. yes i'll start with the degree with the phd degree now i have a phd degree it means i'm one step ahead on my career ladder that's one yeah, so from a, it's, I'm presently undergoing kind of a transition from a junior academic. Mm -hmm. Now I'm gradually moving to a senior position. So I'm still trying to make sense out of that. I'm still trying to understand. Like I just, for instance, people in the departments that were calling me Zainab, now call me Dr. Zainab, and it's something I'm not used nice. to. I'm gradually... Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm gradually getting used to the title. And then it comes with responsibilities as well. So um, I'm kind of going through a transition presently, trying to connect the two worlds, the world of a junior academic transition into a senior one. And for the PhD, I, I didn't talk much about my findings with you, but... Um, I found a lot of things along the line that has happened to the cultural practices of the Kanuri people. And as it is, I would want to create avenues. I would like to create um, platforms where I can showcase or this, let these um, findings be known, which is very important because um, it has a way of affecting the people. What I found out has a way of affecting the people either negatively or positively. So for me now, I'm trying to create avenues, channels where I can make those findings known because it will not make sense to me and I will not be happy to just find it lying down on a bookshelf. Right. It has earned me a degree, yet it is not... It is not um, being used, put into use, kind of. And um, so I have a book 
you already know about that. I have a book that is in press already. And as soon as the book is out, I want to, I will be taking it out to re relevant stakeholders to go through it, to see where they can intervene. The non-governmental organizations, the governmental organizations, they need to see where they can step in because some directions that um, some of the findings are pointing towards are not encouraging at all. So I would like them to look into that. And then now that I have a PhD, what do I do with it? I I come from a, from the part of Nigeria that is where you have low um, school enrollment, especially for the girl child. Girls hardly go to. Yeah, we go to school, but we, we have our limits. That's if we are able to even start. If we are able to, to, to start something, there's usually a limit. So the higher you go, the more, the less female representation. For example, you find more girls in primary schools, then you have a little, the number drops in, in secondary, at the secondary level, then the number still drops again at the first degree level and goes on. I, I, I really want to see that. I would want a, a situation where uh, I can contribute to the increase in girl child enrollment in schools by by um, availing myself to mentor to mentor young girls, young women, not just girls, young people, encourage them, but with more with a greater focus on female children, on female, on girls. Uh, I would want to use myself as an example to them, like be a role model to them. And I look forward to hearing that somebody heard my story, got inspired and pursued a degree or went back to school or made sense, better sense of her life or his life through me. That is, that is what I one day look forward to and I hope to see it come to pass. Me too. And I think that's so important to indeed share our stories so that we can inspire others or others who might be in the same situation to give them that little push that, yeah, yeah. sometimes it could be hard, but it is definitely possible yeah. to pursue it. Mm. So uh, that would be great. And I hope that maybe yeah. your story will be heard through this podcast by a lot of people so that it will have a little bit of impact. So it's interesting to hear that no, I, I, even though you are in academia, you're looking very much at how you can impact uh, the more practical yeah world and to change um, how women can pursue more than they could at the moment and also for the IEPs yeah. that you've studied to, to actually make that change. Mm. That's really beautiful. Yeah. All right. So now I would like to wrap up with a few short questions to make a for, uh, real full circle, um, but I'm going to ask you to answer in just one sentence. Think you can handle that? <laughs> Cool. Okay, I think so. I'll try. <laughs> it's difficult questions, though. So here comes the first one. Oh. What do you consider mm. to be your most important contribution to your field? 
my most important contribution to my field. Hmm. But I can't say that in one sentence. <laughs> That's all right. You can take a little bit more. <laughs> I totally understand. Okay. So, um, as usual, Danny, you're, you're familiar with refugee, with migration studies. And at some, at, in every migration case, there are people that will never have the opportunity of going back to their places of origin. Mm. And there are people that, baby children that were born after the displacement, who will also never have the opportunity of going back home until they die in their entire lifetime. So what I did, my documentation would serve posterity. It will make, connect that link for those people who would never have the chance of going back home. And I think that is the most valuable contribution of my work. Oh, that was really good and short. And I like how, you know, I also work a lot when we talk about migration, about identity, of course, and how that's really the essence of who we are and how identity obviously mm -hmm. is created. Um, so to it's help needed, yes. people, IDPs and people who are born as IDPs, and will probably stay that way mm -hmm. the rest of their lives, will be able to create that identity yes. for them that fits them to give them purpose in life and be able to move on and make a, yes. a meaningful life. That sounds like a great contribution. I'm happy you were able to say mm. that. <laughs> yeah. The next question is, who has impressed you most with what they have accomplished? Hmm. Did you have a role model? Yeah, I have many. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I'll talk about two. So, my elder sister, okay. her name is Mrs. Zule Ntaku, and um, she's, she is also passionate about girl-child education. She has a school, a, a, a primary and a secondary school, where she, um, she gives out scholarship scholarships it's a private school though but she gives scholarships to the less privileged she's she's doing very well in her career i admire her a lot she's able to balance marriage family uh career and, and she's doing very well i look up to her and i get inspired daily and there's another one um she's bumi awoshika She's a career woman, a banker. She's doing so well. She motivates young women to be who they, they want to be. She encourages them to live their full potential. And um, I, I hope to be like her someday too. I should be able to use my voice, my story to inspire others. I see she's doing very well for herself and for her family. And I look forward to being like her too one day. These two women. <laughs> Sounds like you're very close to that already, though. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, here's my last You've one. You've accomplished a lot. Yeah. And this should be easier. How do you relax after a hard day of work? Hmm. I relax with my family. My son and my husband, sometimes we stay at home, watch TV, sometimes we drive out, just relax. We love, we love um, taking the, enjoying the natural atmosphere, enjoying the natural environment. So sometimes we just take a walk around the environment 
around the neighborhood and um, talk to each other and then encourage each other and then my son very interesting always asking questions uh, <laughs> that's how i relax just with them <laughs> sounds very good all right well yeah. thank you so much zainab for sharing your academic journey with us and i feel like i learned a lot yeah. I'd also like to mm. thank our audience for listening again. And I want to remind everyone to check out our social media accounts with the handle at what to do with that and our YouTube channel for more tips and advice. So see you there.